One size fits all seems like a good idea for clothes until you try them on. Same goes for healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers flexible, budget friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. Learn more at uh1.com. Hello, Koshi here. Before we get into this episode of the call, I've got a favor to ask. The bigger the Ausbiz audience, the more we can invest in great content and keep providing quality investment ideas to you for free. If you could just take a minute of your time to leave a review of the call in the Apple Podcast app, it'll help keep our tribe growing. And of course, don't forget to catch up with all the best interviews each day at ausbiz.com.au. Thanks for listening. Enjoy the call. Hello, warm welcome from Brangaroo Studios. This is The Call, 10 stocks picked by you, two expert guests, one hour on this Monday, the 26th of April. I'm Nadine Blaney, and I'm very pleased to welcome into the studio, here for the full hour, Nathan Samasandram from Deep Data Analytics and Gaurav Sodhi from Intelligent Investor. Guys, I feel like we're getting the band back together. <laughs> feels that way, doesn't yeah. it? Yeah. Just chatting in the break, <laughs> but it must be a decade that the three of us have been yeah. having good conversations like the one we're about to bring you. I've been told that Koshi usually has a chat with you, Nathan, yeah. about something uh, bigger picture. And you've brought in a couple of charts today. Uh, I think, Gaurav, you've been across these ones as well, mm -hmm. basically saying that size does matter. So talk to us about the small cap over large cap chart that we've got to put on screen yeah. and why you're looking at that right now. So when you see a usual cycle um, and we, you know, we've had a pretty decent bull market, when you have a bull market, smaller caps outperform. So if, you, if you're a large cap fund manager, you've been in, you know, the outperformance has been in the small caps. And so, if, you know, just by the mere fact that being uh, more in the short the small cap than the large caps, you outperform the market by 10%. So your performance of 10% was just purely on the size category. But it gets even more, uh, I suppose, exaggerated once you go to the smaller caps. So if you're a small cap fund manager, if you look at it versus a micro caps, it's a massive one. We're talking about the micro caps are up about 70% year on year. Mm -hmm. Now, this is the interesting wow. part. Now, every small cap fund manager out there is holding predominantly micro caps mm -hmm. right. for the obvious reasons. That's where the outperformance is. And when yields go to nothing, you go for the highest leverage you can get. And this is the normal part of the cycle. So there's a number of things we can learn from this in the context that one, we've actually seen that peak and it's coming off. Okay, so we've seen the peak in that. Now, is that the peak in the market? Valuations, number of things, bond yields turning, those are telling us we might be closer than further away. So that's one side of the argument. The other side of the argument is a lot of the fund managers are sitting on fairly large positions in the micro caps. If they disappoint, they have to get out. And when they get out, they'll leave a trail of damage. So at this point in the cycle, if you're in a small cap or a micro cap, if it's a negative news, the stock's down 10 to 20%. This is the risk that you're holding. People don't understand that because you've done so well. So the backward looking data looks great, but the forward looking data is starting to look, look a lot worrisome. Now, the other part of that argument is, where are we going in a down cycle? If you think that there is a pullback, this thing completely flips on its head. The micro caps and the small caps are the big underperformers because of the liquidity problem. When people are trying to get out, these things can move 30, 40, 50% very quickly. So this is the part of the cycle where we've seen the peak and we're starting to see it fade. From the micro caps and small caps large caps despite it outperforming you can see the amount of massive outperformance in the micro caps so 
a lot of the retail investors have had a huge play in the microcap space. This is the part of the economic cycle when cyclical recovery is coming. You have to be careful. This is when you want to be offloading some of the microcaps and getting into the, the mid caps and the large caps because at the late in the cycle when things move, you have liquidity till you don't have liquidity. Yeah. Really interesting because you do mention liquidity a lot on this program when we're talking about these smaller names and also chatting with Bell Direct to their data on the platform. This is just sort of what's happening in retail land. Guess what moved? Guess what were the most purchased last week? Blue it's, chips. Blue chips. Uh, you have the right of reply. Yeah. Are you agreeing or Look, seeing things slightly different? I, I think it's right to pull out that data point. It is revealing. My interpretation might be a bit different, actually. To me, um, I think it reflects the intensity of competition within funds management in Australia in particular. And Nathan's 100% correct that as the competition between fund managers has intensified, fund managers have raced to smaller and smaller stocks to try and outperform the competition. And I think that's partly what you're seeing in those charts there. It's not necessarily that Australia's smaller companies are getting better quality or outperforming. It's that there's so much competition for fundings. It's so easy to set up your own shop. And a lot of them are now vying for smaller positions. Mm -hmm. and, and I think that might be... I don't know. That I, I certainly reflects the cycle. Yeah. Um, and it certainly won't be forever. No, um, no. So your note of caution is noted. Yeah, no, I, I think that's, that's the big risk is that you're completely right. Mm. And if you look at small cap fund managers, it's actually funny. There are micro cap fund managers and small cap fund managers. The difference is actually very... Very, 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 very opaque. Yes, yes. Because... If you look at majority of the holdings of small cap fund managers, they're actually micro caps. Yeah. So in that context, you are actually having massive risk exposure without actually paying for it. So your fund manager is taking a higher risk. Mm -hmm. So that's the risk that it's working because we've had a bull market. The, when eventually that turns, that's going to be the problem. The big lesson here for me is that there's a common narrative that um, for the, the great advantage that the retail investor enjoys is that they can go to small stocks mm -hmm and outperform and that you only get mispricings um, in the smaller end of the market. And I think that's completely untrue. That's a great fallacy of investing. Mm -hmm. In fact, um, the small end of the market is very well picked over. You get very few inefficiencies, but you do get lots of dodginess. Mm -hmm. and, and that's where the additional risk comes from. I would argue that when you have lots of people looking at the same, um, same large stocks, you actually get instances of herding where a dominant narrative takes over and that's where the market price tends to fall, uh, tends to tends to go. Um, and I think herding actually provides um, a better uh, opportunity for mispricing rather than neglect at the smaller end, mm -hmm. um, because I don't think there's that much neglect. And Nathan's yeah. data yeah, right. kind of indicates that. Yeah, well, that's really interesting, guys. Great backdrop to start the conversation. Uh, we will go to our stock of the day, though. I don't think anybody would be saying that this was a micro cap or small cap that everybody's been poured over. But today, McGraw in the news, providing a trading update, forecasting full year earnings guidance of about $17 million for the full year as the residential property market continues to run hot. I spoke earlier with CEO John McGraw. He's not the CEO. He's the founder earlier and asked what the company plans to do with its strong cash reserves. Here's what he had to say. We think it's a good problem, Nadine, to have, and we didn't always have that problem a few mm -hmm. years ago, of course. So we're, we're eyeing off any potential strategic acquisitions. We're not in a huge rush insofar as we're not going to spend the money for the sake of spending the money, but we do think going forward, especially perhaps when, when some of this bull rush comes out of the market, uh, there will be some good quality agents or brands 
that will contemplate uh, uh, selling. You know, the industry, the principals in the industry, those that are running the businesses, are, most of them are approaching 55, 60 years of age and potentially considering some form of exit in the next few years. We think that's a good environment. We have cash. Uh, they have good businesses and a succession plan to fulfil. So we think that um, there will be opportunities in the next 12 months to make a couple of strategic acquisitions. We don't have anything set in stone at this point, but we're currently looking at a few uh, and eyeing off whether or not they fit our long-term uh, plan. So McGraw founder John McGraw speaking there with us a little bit earlier on. That full interview is up on the website if you'd like to take a listen. I mean, Gaurav, I started the conversation by saying, John, yeah, property market goes well. McGraw goes well. What happens when property prices start to come off next year as groups like Westpac are, um, you know, are, are forecasting? So how do you view a company like McGraw that's so leveraged to activity in the property market? Yeah, you're right. They've had, they are very leveraged to the property market, but there's also, um, I think there are other things going on with McGraw. They've had a huge exodus of key agents. Mm -hmm. um, so this is not only a cyclical business. It's a business that has struggled um, to, to, to remain intact. Um, and the problems with it haven't just been problems of not enough listings. They're clearly having trouble, well, they've had trouble to attract talent. And I would view this more of a turnaround, um, a structural turnaround rather than as a cyclical turnaround. Um, there are attractions to McGrath. They have a rent roll, which is um, worth something. A rent roll, I should explain. Um, they have a large bank of properties for which they um, control the leases for, and they mm -hmm. take a cut of those leases. That's an extremely attractive cash flow, and that um, is reliable. So you can you can bank on that. You can value that, and that's that's an attractive part of McGrath. But for me, it's probably a matter of style. Um, five years ago, this would have been a really attractive proposition for me. Um, it's bombed out. It's disliked. Um, there's a little bit of asset backing here. This is a lot of the ingredients that I would have looked for. My style has probably evolved since then, and I now am more interested in a business with um, with a, with a with a quality edge, um, with stronger management, and with a with a higher growth path. And none of those things is evident in McGrath. This is still a pretty bombed out business. I don't think the strategy is all that clear. They're still having trouble recruiting talent. Um, there is a cyclical recovery here for sure. And and as I said, there's there's attractive asset backing. Mm -hmm. So the stocks is likely to go higher, but for me, it's not. It doesn't really fit with with the strategy that we're trying to deploy at II. But Nathan, if you take a look at some uh, balance sheets, some plans for acquisitions to help fuel growth, and it's property. Yes. Right. What can go wrong? Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, look. I remember the day when it was floated. I think it was over two bucks. Yeah, that's and right. long-suffering shareholders. Yeah. It, it they has. did see a frank dividend a, at the was, last result. Yeah. Ah, so. uh, look. You know, when the tide goes up, everything goes up, right? And property prices didn't go up because there was a structural upside. It went up because government gave you handouts and central bank basically um, allowed lending rules to be fudged to the point where it's, uh, you know, bad lending rules. Uh, so in that context, we've had almost everything that can go good for the sector is in play right now. Can it get any better? I doubt it. Because if you look at the banks who are the lenders to all this property market, the bank bill swap rate is actually at the cash rate after six months. Now, that's telling me that you've seen the bottom. And most of the banks get their funding about 30, 40% from the global market and bond yields have gone up. So the cost of borrowing for the banks are rising. So inevitably, my feel is over the next six to 12 months, at least in the next six months, 
the banks will have to start talking about out of rate cycle. Sorry, out well, of cycle. They've rate done rates. that when their fixed rates or exactly. fixed rates have gone. So up. inevitably, this is going to keep going higher. I don't think this is going to go lower. I mean, in the US, they've mm. already had 50 basis points rise in their mortgage rates. Mm -hmm. So it's going to come here. That's it's a matter of that principle. Now, this is low quality business. There's no doubt. It's a cycle play. If you, you know, as Guru said, this is one of those contrarian plays you would have bought when everyone said property markets were going to collapse. That's probably your play and you're willing to sit on it for a couple of years. Mm -hmm. Did you know why it was going to work out like this? Nobody knew, uh, but that's worked out. Now you're buying something that everyone knows. So you're coming late to the cycle. I hate to be late to the cycle because you're basically funding the other guy locking in his profit. Um, so don't go late to the cycle. Look for things that are actually recovering and early in the cycle of the recovery period. Property, every stock out there is priced in. So I'm not chasing I anything. I remember you saying you don't chase anything in the property space right now. No, You're because not everyone okay. knew about this three, six months ago. So it's a no from Nathan and a no from Gaurav as well. Let's get to the companies that have been picked by you, our viewers. And we've got Jeff writing in, I think, about Karoon Energy. K-A-R is the ticker code. Hey, Gaurav, the brokers like this one. Yes, they do. Yeah. Um, do you? No. <laughs> okay. Getting right to the point. Yeah. yeah. It's Why not? I've had some history with Karoon in the past. Now, this is a very different business to what it used to be. It used to be run by, in my view, incompetent management. Um, they had a big cash pile for a long period of time, and they spent a long period of time whittling it away in extremely high management fees, incredibly high salaries, dubious decisions. Um, and it was just a no-go area for me. It always looked cheap. It was always trading at cash backing. And for a long time, it was trading below cash backing. But for me, that was always a trap. Um, thankfully, now the old management team is gone. There's new management who actually look quite good, actually. The new management looked very interesting. They bought a new production asset. So instead of it being a plaything for the founding family. This is now a proper business for the first time in, in its existence. And um, for that reason, I can see the attraction, right? Um, they, had, they bought a producing field in Brazil. Um, now, Brazilian oil fields are notorious for being very deep and very complicated. And, and this oil field uh, meets those expectations. It, it is complicated. It involves gas injection wells, water injection wells, a whole series of, um, of punching holes and deep below the earth. Hundreds of million dollars of CapEx um, and haven't really, they've, they've started, but they haven't really seen how everything is flowing. We've got an untested management team here. Potentially looks quite attractive. It looks quite cheap on the metrics. Oil and gas is a complicated business. I would sit back and let management just prove that they have the operating mouse and more importantly, the capital allocation skills. Uh, that are demanded in a business of this size. And um, I'm not sure that's the case yet. Mm -hmm. uh, this would be on my watch list for now. It's potentially very cheap. Uh, one of the few um, companies in the sector producing oil, not yep. LNG or yep. gas. So that's that's interesting. I'd keep this, this as a watch list. They've got a lot to prove um, and it's quite cheap. I, I think you've got plenty of time before you, you miss Karoon Gas or Karoon Energy these, these days. Yeah. Um, so I, I would just hold for now and, and keep an eye on it. A lot of the brokers just saying that uh, Karoon and Senex best in the small to medium energy company yeah. realm here in Australia. You know, it's a high margin and it could complete the transformation to a high margin pure oil play. I saw you nodding along with Gaurav a lot. Yeah, uh, it's a tough sector. Um, it's It moves on a bunch of cartels trying to do the right thing and you've got to believe people that you never believe. So it's 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 a lot of that. Um, they were, I mean, look, OPEC has come out and said, 
in the next three to six months, they're going to increase supply. And you yeah, still there's got... a ministerial meeting this week. That exactly. Might that. Yeah, they always, you know, depending on what the oil price is doing, they'll tell you what yeah. you want to hear. So, and I don't trust any of them and they don't trust each other. So uh, let's figure that out. Karun used to be nicknamed Kaboom because <laughs> every so often you get Kaboom, yeah. Kaboom. Uh, you just don't know which way it's going to move. Um, and that's because of, as Griff uh, rightly pointed out, the management track record was was very bad. Okay, but would this be on your watch list as it is? For... I think it is. Um, the the reason that people say Senex probably the other one in in that tier that's still worthwhile looking of yeah. decent size. The only other one is Cooper Energy, and that's been smashed. Mm-hmm. Uh, so these are the last two standing to a certain extent. I, I think Karun is interesting, but I think over the next three to six months, I think oil stocks will underperform. Most of the regions are still in lockdown, whether it's Europe or Southeast Asia or uh, you know most of the other emerging markets. So I don't think the energy demand is going to shoot the lights out. Um, so in that context, I think you've got time. But Karun is an interesting one because of what Gaurav said. It's one of the few oil producers in our market where we've got a lot of LNG. For me, the you know if you're playing the energy cycle, Beach and Santos are the two best ones on the numbers. It always plays out. But they're both, all of the oil stocks, all energy stocks have run up and they're all curving down because everyone's starting to worry about the demand. So yeah. now is not the time to jump into energy. I think that's a good point, out. actually. You want, I, I think you want to be very careful about wading into oil. Um, it's not that I have a very clear negative picture, but I think this is the most uncertain um, period I've seen in oil um, since I've been covering oil. Okay. And it's uncertain because there's an incentive for the existing producers to suddenly realize, you know, there's an end coming to their infinite oil reserves, and they have now an incentive to pump up out as much as possible before that end arrives. Otherwise, they get end up with a huge bunch of stranded assets. Mm-hmm. So Saudi Arabia would be foolish to, to limit oil production now because it's clear that the age of oil is ending. Mm-hmm. There's a potential wave of, of oil supply coming. Um, and if they won't announce it, they won't put pretty pictures up and mm-hmm. tell you it's coming, they'll just do it. Um, and you want to be careful about that. And on the other side, Every car company in the world has yes. now ha- have a set date about when they're stopping to produce internal combustion engines. It doesn't take much in incremental demand to completely transform um, that oil price. You, you, uh, you know, 5% in, of, of a change in demand here or there can, can knock you know, 20, 30, 40% off the oil price. And we're talking about big permanent changes. Yeah. So just be very careful about wading into this sector. I mean, and what looks cheap can also look we've like We've been long reflation trade for, since middle of last year, but we stayed out of the energy. Okay. It was just too hard to work out. Mm. All right, let's move on to Capral, or we'll start to run out of time. CAA is a ticker code for Dion. Thanks for writing in. So this is the largest manufacturer and distributor of aluminium profiles. It uh, has extrusion plants, I think nine, here. And then it had a takeover offer, and it was from Allegro. But that was terminated, uh, yeah. even as the company was trading above the offer price. So how do investors make sense of this one? This is an interesting one because mm. I know that um, analysts who covered it, and I've not a few analysts who covered it, this is pretty small stock, not the most liquid stock, um, but it's it's got the leverage. So when the cycle works, this thing can go bang. <laughs> but this is just a, you know, it was just going to do nothing. But the analyst, when it was dead, I remember multiple analysts buying into their own stock and just keeping it. Really? And, they, and then I, I, I remember seeing that going, it's a bit like accountants buying zero. Yeah. You know, people, accountants were buying zero at 50 bucks. And I thought, that's bloody expensive. Yeah, go figure. They were right. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and, and the same way, when analysts who covered the stock were buying the stock, 
Even though just Outlook still crap, there was no real play in it. Property wasn't doing anything. I was like, oh, how's this going to play out? And they were right, and it's it's taken off. Look, again, it's broken out. There's there's a supply demand play that works in their favor, but. Yeah, it's hard to get excited, but look, it's actually, it's a good story and they've been right about it. And it just took a long time to come good. So, so is there still value left in oh, it? Oh, no, I'm not chasing here. Um, I, I just think it's one of those things where when the cycle turns, again, it, it can go a bit ugly, but it's just a unique offering that yeah. always gets me interested. Are you interested? Look, he sits a business um, with actually a, a great management team okay. running a lousy business. It's a tragedy <laughs> and you often see this you know it's very easy when you have a high performing a business where you go oh these guys run this business great but in fact um i think sometimes the best management teams are sitting inside some some really crappy businesses and this is an example of that we're talking about sub two percent margins here yeah and that's things this things are good things are running well mm. and they're only making a two percent margin um, but but I, I do think these guys run their assets really well. They allocate capital really sensibly. They pay strong dividends, generate great cash flow. It's very cheap. I still think it's extremely cheap. And that's why um, the market pushed the price up. Would you buy it today? I would. It's a buy? Yes. Okay. Not hate myself for it. It's a terrible I, I, I have to say, it, is, it's, it reminds me, of, when you were saying it, yeah. it reminds me of it's like the New Zealand cricket team. You know, they never have enough talent. They just don't have the pool to pick from, but they always do well. They always get to the semi-final and you yeah. go, how the hell do they do it? And it's just they're really well managed. And mm. these, these guys do well in a bad sector. Yeah. And it, I just I just don't like the whole area that they're playing, but they do really well. It's, it's a bit like, yeah. um, what's a Kodan? Like every time yeah. I look at Kodan, yeah, you're right. that's yeah, yeah. A, not a good business. But, <laughs> but you know, you're not wrong. buying it. You're still no, not going to, no, no. you still think there's it's, better places. I'm probably have psychological damage looking at it for so many years thinking this is not going to do well. I still when, think that's a that's yeah. a sensible course of action as well. <laughs> <laughs> but you got to stay true yeah. to the, the rules. If exactly. you uh, would buy it today, see good value in it, then that's what it is. Now, West mm. Farmers. Would you be buying West Farmers today, Gaurav? They updated on Target and Kmart last mm. week. It appeared as if it was a pretty positive update. Yeah. Things are going really well there. Capital management, though, is always what we talk about in terms of West Farmers. What, what's taking so long? Was it the pandemic that sort of, you know, for good reasons, you'd be conservative in the midst of a pandemic? Or is it just there's the lack of options out there for West Farmers? I think it might be the opposite. I think they have so many options. They have a huge treasure chest of cash that they can potentially deploy. They're faced with a unprecedented retail cycle where people are spending money madly. Um, and I think there's a lot of options and they're probably being very diligent about doing the best they can. Um, we have owned this business for a while. Like we, we first bought this around 30 bucks. I remember being on on with you, Nathan, and, uh, and defending the decision perhaps. Um, and we've since sold it. We don't own it anymore. But um, officially um, on the on the record side, it's still a hold. Yeah. And I think that's where it would still sit. Um, of course, it's a wonderful business. Everyone knows that. Bunnings is the the best um, retail business in the country. And there's no that's not moving out of the portfolio, although I wish it would. I wish they split it out. The question really is, how do they deploy the new capital? I think you can bank on these guys to do a good job. The stuff they've bought so far has been really smart and well-priced. Um, and I think if you're a conservative investor, you can happily hold this and generate above market returns, even from this price. For me, I, as we, I, in our funds, we've sold this and moved on. And I think if you're an aggressive investor, you could do the same. Bounces out as a hold. Yeah, look, I'll, 
agree with most of them. That's the reason we solve. Um, we we pulled it out of the model recently, and purely on the fact that I don't think they'll do a deal at this point because when you got interest rates at nothing, mm. asset prices are too high. Yeah. They're not stupid. They 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 their real value add to the process. I mean, this is a listed private equity. Their value yeah. to the process is you screw it up, I buy it to you from cheap, mm. and then I flip it for fifty to hundred percent. Well, I mean. Yes, You're I'm not, not negating be... any of that, but they have had their own mistakes. Bunnings UK. Yeah, sure, mine. sure. Um, Even Coles. Yeah. I would yeah. say Coles. Oh, no, Coles was, um, the best was, thing was they did was to get rid of it. They paid too much for yeah, Coles. Yeah. They yeah. ran that thing beautifully. And still, if you annualize the returns, maybe made about 8% yeah, yeah, annual yeah. returns. It wasn't mm. great, but you know, if you look at the list of private equities in our market, West Farmers, Goodman Group, Macquarie, Infratel, Infratel you know, all of them on average, you could have bought them 10 years ago, 15 years ago, they would have done well. Yeah. But the problem is when yields go to zero, those are the, the, the market darlings and they've all priced for that. I mean, Goodman Group, it's got, you know, they're bloody awesome, but they're priced for bloody awesome. You yeah. know what I mean? The same problem for West Farmers. I think it's already priced in the fact that they will buy something and turn it around and deliver a massive return. The problem is if they don't, this is when I always look at the flip side. If everyone is pricing that in, you go to the other side. So I don't think West Farmers are going to do any deal, at least till a, a decent pullback in asset prices. It just doesn't make sense uh -huh. for them. So yes, their balance sheet is good. Yes, it is lazy because they just don't want to do a bad deal. So they'll wait. So I don't think it'll do that much. And you look at all their pieces. I mean, Target is gone. You've got <laughs> Kmart, Bunnings, Officeworks. They're all great. Mm -hmm. But we all know why. Everyone stayed at home. Everyone spent too much money on this. Everyone had handouts. That's finished. Are they going to deliver the same numbers into the future? Probably not. So you got numbers potentially under threat on an overall retail basis and consumer spending basis. Then you got the problem of they've got a lazy balance sheet and they're not going to do anything at least for the next six to 12 months till things pull back. Mm -hmm. So in that context, I think it's lazy. At this point, the market falls. This is a crowded trade. Every man and his dog is in this stock. So there's only the way when everyone tries to get out, this thing will fall because there's nobody to jump in and back it. So I think at the end of the day, you're buying something it's really good, but it's priced to be really, really good. Mm -hmm. So I just think that the risk return is not in your favor. Okay, that is sell. not. Yeah, it's a, it's, a, it's a sell, not even a hold. Okay, writing that one down. Uh, everything come back to the cycle with you, Nathan. I like yeah. it. Tech consistency. Ansel, talking about a cycle. Um, A-N-N -N is the ticker code. I'm going to start with Nathan on this one. PPE has obviously been good for the company through this pandemic. Is there further upside potential with Ansel either through PPA, PPE or M&A? How about for shareholders in terms of buybacks? Ah, look, I, I think this is one of the top businesses. I really, really love like them. I uh, met them oh, more than a decade ago. Um, and I remember they opened up an office in Sri Lanka. Oh, Sri Lankan. So when they said, what the hell? Why would you go there? And he goes, oh, you know, I can hire an MBA in New York or I can hire a, a dozen engineers in uh, Sri Lanka yeah. and they got rubber. And I went, well, okay. Uh, so they've actually, they invested a lot of money a decade ago in creating just-in-time manufacturing. So they built manufacturing all around the world. Yeah. And depending on where the demand was coming from, and it was the cheapest for them to manufacture and supply, transportation costs and all that, they were able to do that. And they were doing that way early. And then everyone talks about the whole condom business and they divested that. And it's now a clean-cut manufacturing play. And, you know... COVID is one thing that people forget is COVID is going to leave a memory in all manufacturing, yes. all health system for yep. decades to come. So that's never going to go away. Yep. If anything, it's going to increase even more. So Ansel is a great play in it. And I still remember uh, 
one of my daughter's friend's dad actually bought and so I think it was like four or five dollars and he was going oh, oh wow. it's good yield and I thought I said what do you get as a yield now and he goes oh pretty much get my share price <laughs> and you know what I mean that's so thirty nine dollars and ten though today would you buy it today this is one I buy and don't look at okay at, at least for the next five to ten years you buy. Bottom drawer. Yeah, we, we bought this years ago. It's mm-hmm. $17 a share. It was actually a contentious purchase at the time mm-hmm. because uh, a lot of us thought this was just going to be a yield stock. Never did we dream this would turn into a multi-bagger. And it's not because it isn't a great business. It is. And it's, it's very well managed. And I think the disposal of a condom unit was one of the first hints at how good management is, that they're willing to sell a cash cow business for a very good price and reinvest that for greater returns. And they've done all of that. They're number one or two in every market they enter in. Um, they're at a premium price, but because they're a very small input and um, a failure of their product leads to catastrophic risk, uh, they actually get away with regular price increases and they can pass through rubber costs and, mm-hmm. and input costs. Very powerful business, in fact. Um, but it is extremely expensive. I would call this a hold. Um, you wouldn't want to sell it. I think you're right about there being a permanently higher demand point for Ansel yeah. and it's extremely good quality but just hold for me yeah I don't think um, hand sanitizer is ever going away so nor no, rubber gloves and everything right. else exactly. I mean the yeah. amount of hand sanitizer I've consumed in the past uh, year these guys were like a really good quality business before the yes, pandemic that's right yeah. that, this has taken a Another Lego. level up. So that's well scary. how about Fisher & Paykel then that's oh. the next one on our list coming to us from Roger mm. is Price, the sticking oh. point for Fisher and Paykel. It is, and the whole healthcare sector. Um, I mean, Ansel gets tagged into a healthcare sector because what it used to be with the condoms and stuff, yeah. and, and so forth. But it's really a manufacturing play. Fisher and Paykel, it's just the healthcare sector thematic that works against them. But look, for a start, it's New Zealand. I mean, you know, New Zealand. <laughs> you buy anything that anything to do with tech. It says that, yeah. I know it is. It's a. It's it's like watching Brian Lara or Tenduka bat. You just sit there and watch it perform, and it does, and they do. And Fisher and Paykel is a really, really good business. Betting against it has killed <laughs> many fund managers. Uh, and I, look, I'm a big fan. I just don't want to pay the multiple. Yeah. Look, at this point in the cycle, even though the the best growth stock in our market is CSL, that's come back. And I remember having this argument when it was three hundred dollars, and analysts were making up numbers for target price mm-hmm. about three hundred. Um, it's come back, and I still think there's more downside to CSL, mm-hmm. but you know, when these things come back and they give you a pullback every couple of years, you get a 30, 40% pullback, you just close your eyes and buy. They're going to be there. So whether it's CSL, whether it's Cochlear, whether it's ResMed, unless it's a structural problem or Fisher and Piker Healthcare, they're really good guys that deliver quite consistently. Not today, though. You wouldn't buy today. today. But if it is one of those companies Mm. that we're going to, in five years, say, oh, I wish we could have caught it, you know, like a CSL like we've been doing forever, why not just buy it today? Yeah, you're paying about 50 times earnings today. Mm, pretty it's pretty expensive. Yeah. It's had <laughs> it's had a really large... Well, it does happen because when you got zero yield. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. yeah, but it's had a really large elevation demand as well. Um, so, you know, whether they can repeat these recent performances, I'm not sure. They've invested in new production facilities. So if you assume that they all get filled up, it's potentially... It should be able to double EPS, um, which brings the earnings down a little bit, but mm-hmm. still makes it pretty high. It tells you that there's a lot of growth embedded in the company, extremely well managed. I, I would rate management above ResMed. Yes, um, I have to say, on the numbers it looks better. 
Yeah, but ResMed is trying a different strategy now. So well, they're the ventilator see, thing and all that. Do well, they've got that out, AI yeah. thing happening now. So it'll be interesting to see how that works out. Um, extremely good company. I'd have to call it a sell, actually, reluctantly. It's oh. it, it's high quality. Oh, I have the sell. taking profits. Yeah. I'd be taking profits. I'm taking profit yeah. on the whole sector. Yeah. Uh, I should say thing. that we, we bought this at $2 years ago and sold it at $7 and thought we were geniuses. Mm. So, you know, there you go. Well, full know? disclosure is always yeah. good. Thank you, guys. <laughs> All right. So we began this hour by talking about small caps and micro caps. It was a word of caution from both of my guests for different reasons. You'll have to listen to the episode again if you need to have a refresher. Stock of the day was McGraw Group. MEA having a great session today. Not so for these guys in the future. It's a no from both of them. Nathan hates being late to a cycle. And Gorav says that it's a pretty bombed out company in the past. Nothing much has changed now. Karun Energy is a no-go for both the guys as well, although it is a sit back and watch. It's on the watch list for Gorav because it is a proper business with good management, though untested management so far. It is a pure play oil producer going to be soon, but uh, Nathan remembers when it was called Kaboom. He's not quite over it, I don't think. He says it's just a tough sector to be in. Capral, CAA. This was an interesting discussion. Illiquid, Nathan does not like that. He doesn't love the business. He says, don't chase it here. There's no value left. But a disagreement from Gorav, who says, great management team, stunning management team, running a lousy business. They're doing a really good job of it, though. Think of the margins below 2%. That's a tough business, but he's got to give it a buy. He says there is still value left in Capral for you, Dion CAA. West Farmers, it's a sell for Mathan. It's already priced for bloody awesome. It's going to take a while for them to do any acquisitions, and it's priced for that to go well already. Gorav loves it. It's a wonderful business. It's a hold for him. It's just expensive. And uh, Ensel, both of these guys. In fact, Nathan said, I really, really, he was about to say love. I know it, but he did say like <laughs> in the end. He says COVID will remain and the impact from COVID on how we use PPE, but he just says it's a really, really well run business. It is a buy. It's not going in the portfolio and you can blame Gorav for that one. He says it's a hold. Management gets a huge tick, but it's expensive. And if we get to Fisher and Paykel, that's pretty much it for both of these guys uh, when it comes to uh, FPH for you, Roger. Um, look, Gorav says it's better than ResMed at this stage, but he's selling it. He's taking profits. Nathan's taking profits from all the healthcare names. Uh, it's a really, really good company, but it all comes down to price. That brings us to the, uh, the Osprey's portfolio. And this is, of course, thanks to our partner, NavTrade. You know the rules. Two thumbs up from both of our guests. They have to want to buy it on the day. If they do, we put it in. So let's get a check on how we're performing weekly down by half a percent. No, sorry, that's up by half a percent, as you can see on your screen in green. On the month, we're up by four and three quarters of a percent. Year to date, up almost 31 percent. And these guys here in studio can take well, at, least, at least a bit of the credit for that one. Recently, we've added Crown Resorts Premium, Degray Mining, Southern Cross Media and Yoji. Yoji. That was an interesting oh, yeah. one last right. week. We okay. we spoke about yeah, them last no, week. Is. Was that you, was it? No, yeah, I think it was. Yeah, it was. Yeah, uh, so. Bevan Slattery's okay. behind that one. And, Malt uh, Malting Dry Index. Interesting. Team your high. Yeah. Right. I'll take a look. Okay. Um, uh, also, the, we spoke with mm. the CEO. I didn't realize that day. We spoke with the CEO the day before that ah, program. So if yeah. you want to check that out, it's mm. on our website That's and the cool. app as well. Good. And you can check out everything in the call portfolio. Go to osbiz.co forward slash portfolio. Get on with it, shall we? United Malt Group, UMG. This is for Damien. This one's already in the portfolio. 
I don't know if I'm supposed to say that, but it is. So will it remain um, pretty challenging operating conditions? You've got foreign exchange headwinds or tailwinds, depending on, on the day. Increased costs as well. What's to like? What, oh. Why should we keep United Malt in the, in the portfolio? Oh, it's a good drink. Uh, <laughs> uh, look, you know, in, I'm a big fan of the whole food thematic in the reflation trade. Mm -hmm. Costs are going up. Um, if you look at what's happened with uh, food prices globally, um, it's gone basically hyper. Right? It's gone straight up and all costs are rising, supply side shocks. So in that context, you want to be in the food thematic. And again, it's, it's, you want to buy food thematic when people don't want to buy it. And UMG, it's, it's, it hasn't done much. It's basically playing sideways. It's a good yield trade. I think the thematic plays out well. Um, I think the, the whole opening up economy will start to flow through and these things should do better. There's that cycle. And so in that context, I think this one looks quite interesting. I mean, I've been going through, we, we had a play at Ingham Chicken and we made uh, profit, took out, we, had, we were in Tassel and short covering came through, that's popped. We just actually sold out of Tassel. Mm -hmm. um, and so we like the food thematic. I think you wanna buy the thematic when people don't wanna buy it. We were, we've been in New Farm and Instec Pivot and we're still in it. Um, so I'm a big fan of the, the whole reflation trade and food is part of that. And UMG plays right into that. And I'm pretty sure Gaurav's gonna like this one. Yeah, this, I think we actually put it in the portfolio, yeah. would, be, would be my guess. Um, so, um, so you like the food thematic and value. I mean, it's, it's not trading at really challenging multiples, is it? It actually looks, you look at the numbers and it looks pretty dreadful. Um, but I think that's the opportunity. The pandemic has disguised in UMG a really high quality business. It was spun out of Grain Corp and during, it was spun out, I think, just before the pandemic. Yeah. So it hasn't really had a chance to, um, to prove itself yet. And I think there's a lot of misunderstanding and, and maybe um, disinterest in, in what it does. It's, it's the fourth largest maltster in the world, which means it collects barley, malts it to, mm -hmm. um, or roasts it to a specific quality or standard and then sells it on to beer brewers. And in particular, a third of their sales go to craft breweries. And big trend there. Big trend. And that's, that's the opportunity. That's the growing market. Not only do craft brewers take more malt, and the malt actually provides only four ingredients in beer. Malt is a crucial ingredient. If you switch your malt supplier, you risk changing the flavor or the color or the right, smell okay. of your beer. So they have really sticky customers. For big beer companies, they work on fixed margin contracts, mm -hmm. which is super, um, super sticky. This is a really high quality business that doesn't appear in the numbers, but the pandemic is now coming to an end. You should see the numbers start to improve. Buy from you. Buy big from buy from you. Remains yeah. in the portfolio. I'm gonna. I, I know. Um, I'm actually gonna put a, a big buy on it. I, I think this is one of, one of the best um, blue chips you can buy at the moment. Gaurav, yeah. can we make yeah. something up? Big Easy. buy. Yep, yeah, that's a new term that we will stick <laughs> with here on uh, yeah. the call. Let's get to Seek. This one kind of divides the market. Sek mm. for Darren. Thanks, Darren, for writing in. So we've got a strong jobs market. Um, some pressure coming through and some skills shortages. Is that good for Seek? Importantly, is it good for Seek investors? Yeah, I think it is, uh, but I, I don't think that's going to surprise anyone. Uh, everyone knows that. Mm -hmm. um, and the growth play is obviously China, and that's probably one of the best performing economies post-pandemic. Um, again, that's not going to surprise anyone. Um, are you buying, I mean, are you buying something that potentially is going to surprise the market? I don't think so. I think that the whole tech sector has done really well. This is the old techs. So REA, Seek, car sales, all three have killed it. Uh, and betting against them as a putting my quant hat back on from my history mm. you know every fund manager has tried to short these three stocks and all of them have got killed 
uh, it was just a matter of time. Mm -hmm. And it's one of those things, again, you don't want to short the stock, but uh, look, you're in a um, situation where reflation, growth stocks will have lower multiple. Mm -hmm. I think all three are really good businesses. I, I, I think Seek's a great business. I just don't think Seek will attract the same multiple it has now. So there'll be a multiple pullback and it'll probably come back with that. Um, but I just don't think right now buying it is a good risk return for you. You go up. No. Yeah, yeah. We own this in the pandemic. We bought this in yeah. March last year. Um, we have sold it already. Okay. I know this is a great business. I know historically you're supposed to hold on to these things for a long time, and that's been the right move. But there has to be a point at which you have to say that, look, value has been recognized here, mm -hmm. and there are lots of other opportunities, and you need to fund them somehow. So um, I think this is a sell. This is extremely expensive. Uh, they've got a lot of capex still to, to pay up to develop these new markets mm -hmm. that they've entered in in the, in the emerging world. Um, you know, keep it on your watch list, check in with it. Yeah. You get an opportunity to buy this again, I'm sure. It's, it's actually surprisingly cyclical. Um, one of the best companies in Australia, but, but sell. Rent.com.au is the next on the list. RNT, this is for Curvit. Thank you so much for writing in. So this is one of those, Bevan Slattery. Uh, companies. Yeah. What would Bevan do? I think was a question that one of the guests posed last year. It had, he, he led an investment into RNT. It is basically, uh, you know, a rental platform yeah. in, in a nutshell. So do you like it as a new tech? Look, for me, this is a great example of some of the lunacy going on in the market. Um, there is, you can always see as the top approaches of the market by the crazy risk behavior that turns up and Everyone piling in, look at that chart, piling into a stock because of one it's investor has bought it is, is silly. It, and it's, it's speculative behavior to the extreme. And it tells you that we're approaching, in my view, um, a top in this current market. Um, this is actually a very interesting business. And, and the shame of it is that it's, it's ridiculously priced and you cannot yeah. buy it. Mm -hmm. You'd have to sell it. But uh, I would keep um, rent on your watch list. Yeah. There's been a whole host of companies trying to challenge realestate.com mm -hmm. and doing a poor imitation job of it. This is not that. I think these guys have a genuine differentiation. Platform does something different and it targets a different segment. They've integrated a lot of services onto the platform and they're getting traction. Mm -hmm. Very interesting business, keep an mm -hmm. eye on it, but this is silly. Potential to be a disruptor, but again, it comes down to price. <coughs> yeah. This is exuberance. Oh, look, it definitely is. I mean, we were in, uh, give an example, Accent Group, AX1. Right. Yeah. Uh, now, um, great we had the Brandy, yeah. uh, he came back back on the board. Yeah, the stock just gone pop, <laughs> right? It was wasn't cheap to start with. Mm -hmm. When it went pop, it's you know basically pricing in two three years of growth. Uh, we actually sold into that. Uh, we got out of it because we went. Oh, it's already priced in the next couple of years. So you know he's mm -hmm. got to do well just to keep it. Uh, it's same thing. It's run what seven to ten times on that uh, investment. So you've already priced in a fair bit. But I have to admit. When I first heard about it, I didn't even know about this stock. Mm. We heard it on the show. Yeah, and Greg actually, Bader yeah. Uh, interviewed him. Yeah, we actually, um, then I had to read up and I went, oh, I actually learned a lot about the yeah. stock yeah. here. Yeah. Um, and it looks, it, it is a very interesting stock. I really like it. Just, you know, it's just as Guru said, it's sad that stock price got 10 times because now you go, oh, forget it. Not yeah. worth it. But it is one. I Patience think can be a virtue, though. Oh, it is. You it have is. this on your I watch think, list. I think yeah. you have it on your watch list. Wait mm. to the change in sentiment. It's a unique, there's a number of unique stocks, and this is one of those unique stocks. And, mm. you know, it's a, it does have a unique proposition. So I would keep it in there. You know, when, when, when you get a bus crash, everyone gets hurt, and these things could come back, and that might offer you mm -hmm. an opportunity. Okay, that is rent.com.au for you. 
COVID. Let's get to number nine on the list. This is Catapult Group. Chris, we guys have been talking about this one for years. Yeah. It's in sports, it's technology, yeah. how you maximize performance. Uh, but the big problem was the pandemic, of course. We haven't seen a full, I guess, recovery in all of the markets that it operates in. What do you think, Nathan? Oh, look, I, I was actually working in the firm that floated it originally. Oh, really? um, oh, okay. And uh, we were looking at it going, oh, why wouldn't someone of the big guys like Nike and yeah. you know, they've got their analytics, they've got yeah. the already the sporting stars, why wouldn't they collect? And so these guys did the really hard stuff early, yeah. went and got individual sports, league, AFL, went to... I remember the analysts got flown to India to do great <laughs> cricket in India to get all the cricketers involved. And, and they've kind of grind, grinded their way out. So I do like the management and they've done really good work. Um, but, you know, it's, it is tough to see where they're, you know, I always find the problem of where do they get their growth from? So they have to attack markets and there's plenty of guys who are already in there, big, massive gorillas, and they're not into giving up the data quality. Um, or the quality or, the, or their data itself. They don't own so, their data, do they? No, the, the no. customer owns the data. Exactly. Yeah. So there's this, There's always going to be the issue where, I think the biggest thing is if they get enough, my gut feel is if they get enough customers, they just get taken out by one of the bigger players. Yeah. And that's probably the next step. Um, it's not necessarily a bad thing. It's not investors. a bad thing, but it's. I don't like to invest purely on a you know, takeout. You, you invest on something that's going to be growing. And then when they grow too big that the competitors are scared, they buy them out. Um, so... I don't know if that's going to play out quickly, but look, I have to say, I always thought these guys would struggle and they've done a hell of a lot through the well, years. Well, they struggle for a long time Exactly, as well. but they've done mm. a lot better than I thought and they've continued to execute. So I'll give management their due. Um, I think, look, I would, I, would, I would not say it's a sell. I think it's a hold more leaning towards a buy than a sell. So I think it's, a, it's not a bad business because I wouldn't say it's not a high quality business, but they've done really well. So you back a management who can deliver. So they have delivered. I'm not sure I'm as sanguine as that. I don't think the stock has proven itself quite yet. It's well below where it was a few years ago. I haven't been oh, following. But that was that was in the stupid. That was, that that was, was stupid. stupid. I, the people yeah, are, right. I mean, people are reverse yeah. broking to me, and I was like, "Oh, we're in the floating <laughs> broker. We don't have to tell us the story." Yeah, yeah. And they were telling me to broke it even more. So I think people got a bit stupid. Now pricing is, I think, a lot more logical. Yeah, no, I, I accept that. That's that's probably fair. Um, but even so, there is a long way to go for this business to prove itself. Look, the valuation isn't silly now. You're right. It's, it's not crazy. It's not rent. Um, but there's a lot of competition. Hard to identify what the moat is. Um, they've locked up a few sports, but locking up yeah. isn't the right word because anyone can come in and steal those customers. We thought we had a, we, you know, we've looked at this in a little bit of detail. And we thought, look, if they keep their data, and the data gets mm. attached to the device, yeah. and that is a lock, and that would make a great business. But as it turns out, the data actually stays with the customer. And um, this is mostly a hardware business. There's not that much sexy software here. Um, for me, I, I, I would pass on this as a mm -hmm. sell and move on. But I think the problem for them yeah. is to own the data is because those each individual sporting team and yep. individual has already got a personal contract with the producer and or a brand that's already got the analytics. Yeah. And they're not that's willing the risk, to give it? up the yeah. data yeah. because that's their mode. Data is the be all and end That's it. That's the, that's the biggest commodity for the next Yeah, year. look so who you're talking to. can they change that? Yeah, deep data. <laughs> yeah. Okay, no. um, but mm. can, can Catapult address that in any way? Or that's I think it would be difficult okay. to write that into their contracts. Yeah. Um, as you say, you've got Nike and some of the yeah. really big guys who provide billions in sponsorship, pay for everything. And to compete against those guys is going to be difficult. The product is not that complicated. Um, they've, they've had an early mover advantage. 
And it's hard to see the advantage they had before that. Look, as I said, I haven't been following it for a couple of years. And it, maybe there's something it, else going on here. You know what it reminds me of? But, it's like yeah. the Jumbo Interactive with the um, lottery guys. Yes. We always thought, oh, they'll just build their own yeah. online product and kill this off. Yeah. And, you know, a decade later, they're still there. Mm. They're doing well and they're making it. But that's different. A, Lot- lotteries, if, if you're playing lotteries, you're inherently irrational. Yeah. <laughs> but <laughs> that's every Australian. sports teams, don't, don't kid you. Sports yeah. teams are, are fiercely run. That's thoroughly true. run businesses, and they are always run really well. Mostly run really well, yeah. Yeah. unless you're a Russian but the oligarch. Thing is, yeah, right. But it, it does make the sense that it's chicken feed for one of the Nikes to yeah, it is, isn't it? buy it. Yeah, I so think that's a fair Rather business. than build something yeah. and compete with these guys, they'll just go, we'll just take it out. But that makes it less attractive yeah. because your upside that's is the their cap. That, that's, that's my problem. Yeah. That's, that's where I'm struggling with. Because if they do actually execute on some mm. of the plans, I reckon they'll get taken out. So you don't get the big run-up. Well, I could sit and listen to you guys talk all day, but we've got to move on (laughs) to the last on the list, actually. Lucky last for Rob. This is BetMakers, ticker code BET. I know there's a few people out there that are interested to hear about BetMakers. Um, It's got two divisions, the wholesale wagering product segment. Um, That's the one that gets most of the attention. That's the one that there seems to be a lot of announcements consistently coming from bet makers on that front. So to do with wagering horses, they've got the technology that enables some of you know that, that system to run. Do you like it, Nathan? Look, everyone's been you know telling me this is their next points bet, right? Mm-hmm. And that's the story that's thrown out there. Um, look, there, there is a template set up by points bet on how to promote a stock like this. And Bet is right on it, right? You know, they're hitting those marks and everyone loves it. It's on the run. Everyone's buying it. And, and, and it's Pretty a good chart over the past year. Oh, look, it's, it's been great. Wow, I mean, that. if you look at points bet, it, it just tells you mm-hmm. what this is potentially going to do. The problem for me is, you know, it's one thing I've learned from Gurav and it's not a lot of things. I've no, it's probably the only thing. <laughs> is that, you know, when people know something, you're not buying something that the market doesn't know. Like BET, Everyone knows what they're doing. Everyone looks at PointsBet and say, that's what is happening. This is why we're there. This is what the playbook is. And they are hitting markers. And like PointsBet and BetMakers are partners in the US horse exactly. racing um, And that's where market. the play is. And the thematic is still plays. And I, you know, again, I always like to look at cycles and say, you want to be in when people don't want it. And then you ride the cycle. When everyone knows about the cycle, you just don't want to be the last guy buying into it. So, you know, that's why I have a problem with that. And again, these are not cheap stocks. I mean, you can look at it against points better and say it's done this, but the reality is the multiples are massive. They have to execute. Nothing can go wrong. If there's any blimp, these things get hammered. It's not a big cap stock. Again, this is one of those micro cap stocks where things have gone berserk, right? I mean, this has gone multiples and multiples. So in that context, there's a fair bit priced into it. And I, I just don't feel the confidence in the current market where multiples are getting pulled back for high growth stocks. Mm-hmm. This has got everything that you don't want. Tech, gambling, high growth, um, you're paying premium multiple. Well, that's your opinion. Some <laughs> say tech and gambling, big check, you know, well, moving into it's, the it's US a, market. Well, yes, and that's that's been the thematic, right? And everyone's buying into it. Mm-hmm. And my question is, when you're buying something, does everyone else know? I think yeah. they know. Is there anything that uh, Nathan does not know about BetMakers that would make you be a buyer on this day at this price? No. Okay. Yeah. The, I, It'll be a I, short conversation. This is going to be a short conversation. Part of this is about style. Um, you know, for, for us to buy something and for me to buy something, I need to have um, an insight that's different to someone else. You know, that, uh, for me, I, I don't see the point. If you 
If you have the same information as everyone else, and remember there are millions of people looking at the same bits of information, mm -hmm. if you come to the same conclusion as everyone else, that conclusion is that this is a software maker in a new burgeoning market in the US. There's lots of people chasing this big new market. The share price has gone up, what, from three cents to $1.30. What's the insight? Everyone, I think, is aware of the opportunity. They've, they're miles from capitalizing on it. This is not like buying CSL at a high multiple where you've got a great product and a great management and a moat that's reinforcing itself. This is an, a largely untested business that is, that is searching for an opportunity. That opportunity is well understood and well priced. Now, that's not to say it won't materialize, but is it a sensible bet when at, at these odds? That's the question to ask. You know, the analogy we often use is if, 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 I don't know about football, but if a great football team is playing a lousy football team, you'd be an idiot to bet on the lousy football team. And sometimes the lousy football team wins. That doesn't make the bet you make the wrong one, right? That's still the right bet. And I think in these situations, that analogy is apt. You know, maybe these guys will go on to be a great success, but a lot of that success is already priced in. Um, your odds are not favorable at this price. And if that's the case, there are lots of opportunities. Just move on and buy something else. Betting analogy about bet makers. Well played, Gaurav. <laughs> yes, well, well played. Another buy. BET is the ticker yeah. code, Rob. That is not a buy from either of our guests here. Uh, do you ever worry, though, that when you've got some of these high growth names mm. and you decide not to get in on value, you know, for value reasons or whatever, that you're going to miss sort of the next great thing? Because that's one of the criticisms that we get from our viewers when they're watching. Mm. Um, they say, you know, but if you always yeah. hold back, yeah. if you never believe in high growth yeah. and that it will come to fruition sometime in the future, then you miss all of these opportunities. Yes. That's, and I think that's that's right. There's a balance to be struck. I mean, we. I think we've talked about this to death, but we are, um, are one of our largest holdings is Ordinate. And mm -hmm. one of us, I think our, our actual largest holding in all of our funds is FDV, Frontier Digital. Mm -hmm. You've spoken to Nate I, about yeah. that. Um, now that's, those are both companies which look stupid on any, any sort of conventional numerical analysis. So I'm not advocating for blind allegiance to numbers. I think mm -hmm. that's actually the worst way to invest. I would rather invest um, you know, in the other direction, even rather than just blind allegiance to, mm -hmm. to, um, to numbers, because that just leads you down the path of computer investing and everyone's doing that. Um, but I just think you need to be very aware of what your likelihood of success is and you need to have an original insight. I think that's key. This is a very competitive business we're engaged in. And if you think you have an original insight because BetMakers is going to the US making software for, for bookies, it's not good enough. Yeah. Yeah, <clears throat> yeah I, I, don't, I don't mind it. I don't know about betting on the numbers. Always bet on numbers. Because uh, <laughs> you're saying it's a deep data guy. But it's, it's a relative nature of it. So yeah. you're looking at things that are, like you look at CSR and go, they've got a history of delivery. So you can back their history. Yeah. Where you look at this and go, you don't have much. This is one of the reasons I don't yeah. like IPOs too much. When you don't have the history mm -hmm. that's been... It's not just history. Yeah. You've got a flywheel that's exactly. working. You've got a moat that's turning. And you've got to keep churning to yeah. make this work. Now, we talked about Ansel. You know, and mm. Ansel has proven to be what it is through the years. Yeah. Now, if you're playing the gambling game, it's, I'll give you a classic example. Aristocrat versus Ainsworth. For decades, everyone said, Ainsworth will turn, Ainsworth yeah. will turn. You yeah. go broke, waiting yeah. for Ainsworth to turn. Answer, I mean, Aristocrat has yeah. delivered and delivered. You get a 10, 20% pullback in Aristocrat because there's a market pullback, mm -hmm. you know, sell your house and buy Aristocrat. And that's the kind of high quality global business. Now, this is no Aristocrat, yeah. but it could be. And it may prove itself to be aristocrat in five years' time, and I will gladly pay 20 bucks for it. Mm -hmm. 
but it is not aristocrat yet. So that's the whole idea. Yeah. For me, aristocrat could double, yeah. but bed could halve. So I don't know. Yeah. I have to see the track record to believe it. All right. I love the conversation, guys. We've got to move it on. Uh, number six on the list was for Damien United Malt Group. This is a screaming buy. It's a big buy. Big I think buy. that was. Big <laughs> buy for Gorov and Nathan. Look, love the food thematic. Uh, this is a, a story of the pandemic disguising a good business. And so that also offers some value right now. Seek. Uh, Gorov is sold out already. It's expensive. The value has been realized. So that's a narrative as well. The thematic for well, Nathan has already been known. It's known out there in the market. You could potentially buy this one on a pullback, but it's not a buy today. Rent.com.au. What a shame it's run so hard in the estimation of both my expert guests today. It's actually a sell for Gorav at these levels, but keep an eye on it. He says it's actually a really interesting business. Nathan agrees, really interesting business, likely to do something, taking on the big players like REA Group, but it all comes down to price. Why would you buy it with so much exuberance built in? Catapult Group, this one's not done really anything much for either one of these guys over the years, and they've been watching it closely. So a hold for Nathan. Uh, you know, did the hard stuff early, good management, likely to be taken out, but where's the growth? You don't buy companies hoping for a takeover offer. Um, Gorov says, look, it's not really proven itself yet. Where is the moat? That's an important question when you're talking about any kind of tech, right? Right. Don't want to put words in your mouth, but we <laughs> know That's the good words. <laughs> yeah. Where's the moat? And uh, bet makers. Is it a sensible bet at these odds? No. Oh, in, uh, oh the two. I got two um, in there. Gora, oh, yeah. yeah. Um, Nathan says the market knows about it. Again, the market knows about this one. What, do you, what information do you have? What data do you have that uh, the market hasn't already priced in? It's not cheap. Execution must be perfect. And uh, Nathan would like to see a little bit more history. Show me the money. Show me the evidence. Right. It's uh, Nathan's approach to investing. Guys, that was fun. It was fun. Thank you. Yeah. Gaurav Sodi from The Intelligent Investor, Nathan Samasundram from Deep Data Analytics. That's our show for today. But if you'd like us to cover some stocks, flick us an email, thecall at ausbiz.com.au. We're also on Twitter at ausbiztv. Just flick us a tweet if you'd like. Don't go anywhere. We have plenty more business news and analysis coming right up.